1: Hello and welcome. My name is Ami Kassar, founder and CEO of Multifunding. Since 2010, multifunding has helped businesses achieve their biggest growth goals through creative and personalized funding solutions, working with hundreds of lenders across the nation. Joining us today is Noah Rosenfarb. Noah is a third generation CPA that built Freedom Family Office to help entrepreneurs produce predictable income, create their ideal life, and build their legacy. Our main topics today: We'll talk about how entrepreneurs think about risk and what Noah sees out there. Welcome, Noah.
0: Thanks for having me, Yami. Noah, tell me everything. <laughs> Where do I start? What do you do? So I work primarily with the half percent, so entrepreneurs that are making seven figures or have an eight-figure net worth, and I help them become rich beyond money. So you know they've already come to me with a certain level of financial success. And our goal is to help them have a meaningful life and a broader definition of the success that they want to have. And we do that, like you mentioned, through earning predictable income and then helping them design the life that they really want to have so that not only can they have the financial freedom, but they could have time freedom. Uh, but more importantly, I think in the end is helping them build, build their legacy and create meaning and purpose in their life that goes outside and beyond their business that they've created.
1: So- You and I, we work with lots of entrepreneurs at at different stages. And we're both in EO, we're friends, and we refer people to each other all the time and all that. But I have decided that there's a new theme to this podcast I'm working on, and I want to get your thoughts about it. And it's all about how entrepreneurs think about risk. So let's start with you. Yeah. You've had a journey. How's your attitudes about risk changed over time?
0: I don't think so. Not that much, surprisingly. Uh, I've always, I'm an accountant. And and so, you know, most accountants tend to be lower risk in general. And I've always looked at calculated risks. And to me, I've always taken what other people would perceive of as risk. Uh, but I always mitigated my downside. And typically I like to think about uh, either doors that when you enter into the new room and you close the door behind you, if that door will open and you could go back into the room you just came from. So whether it's a new business venture, a new partnership, a new deal, a new investment, if I'm getting into this new thing, am I going to Am I locked into it and and the only way out is through, or can I retreat and go back to where I was and and be fine with where I was and then find a new door to go through?
1: So maybe let me ask you a question a little bit differently. Have you ever put your house up for your business? Never. Would you?
0: Nope.
1: Would you have ever? No. Have you you ever met people who have?
0: Oh, of course. Yeah. I I think, you know, one of the things that I created a number of years ago was an opportunity filter. And one of those things on my opportunity filter was I wasn't going to risk my family's financial security by doing this, you know, pursuing this opportunity. And I I've seen the unfortunate consequence of some entrepreneurs that, you know, took risks that didn't pay off and they, you know, they, they had to start over again, all from scratch and, Again, because of my somewhat conservative nature, I've always found that I I don't want to risk what I've created to create more because having more has never been really that important to me.
1: Have you always felt that way or have you always felt like you had enough? So in other words, were you at a stage in your life where you didn't have enough Um, and you had to take that risk?
0: Yeah, no, I've always felt like I had enough in the sense that when I was growing up, i wanted more uh you know as a child but then as soon as i started even in college you know i owned a restaurant in college and i was producing good income while i was a college student i was flipping cars i always had as much as i wanted to do the things that i wanted and uh you know that that's changed over time of course as as i've made more income i spent more on experiences uh, you know you, you kind of need more to run the the flywheel but i've always lived within my means, you know, significantly underneath my means. And so I've always had the feeling that if, if, if the wheels stopped, uh, I was going to be just fine.
1: Got it. That's, that's tied to income, not to savings. In Uh, other words, somebody might be earning $150,000 a year and spending $100,000 a year. And saving 50 grand a year, which is great. Okay. But by saving 50 grand a year, that's not ultimately going to get them to their retirement goal.
0: I or- figured out early on for me that my earning power was my greatest asset. And so I protected that asset from death and disability with insurance. And then I've, I increased the value of that asset through education and training and, and my network. And and I still believe that my most valuable asset is you know the things that I'll continue to produce for myself for the rest of my life. But but then I have other assets, you know, financial assets, and uh, I, you know the risks that I take with those financial assets I think are much different. But I've always had confidence that no matter what, I could I could support my family. I guess is one way to say it. And I didn't feel the need to take whatever I had accumulated and put it at risk to achieve bigger goals or greater goals.
1: Got it.
0: Yeah, I'm definitely this an accountant.
1: I'm a different. real accountant. And this is a fascinating topic to me because no one's right or no one's wrong, but everyone's different.
0: Yeah. Well, and my wife has a different risk tolerance. So when we, we built our home in, uh, in South Florida when we had moved here and she didn't want a mortgage. And that was just something that she didn't, you know, that was not something she was comfortable with. She always learned when she was growing up, you you pay cash, you know, that's how her parents did it. And so one of the concessions in our marriage based on her risk tolerance and mine was, okay, so we're not going to have debt on our, our, the home that we live in. And then slowly over time, that changed. Now we, we got a mortgage a couple of years ago, just to, create liquidity that we then invested in other assets and you know she, she has more confidence that if, if she told me tomorrow you know no I want you to pay off the mortgage that we'd be able to pay it off in you know a couple of days or, or a week or a month.
1: I tell a story when I speak about it was early on in my practice and this is why this is one of the stories that amplifies why I think these discussions about risk are so important and I was working with an entrepreneur in Northern California who needed a loan at a cleaning company, I think with was like $2 million worth of revenue. And we got him an SBA loan, it was $800,000, 10-year money, 6% interest, and a lien on his house. And he said to me, hell or high water, no lien on my house. It was a non-negotiable for him, and he needed the money. And at the time, which actually might be similar in this economic environment, the only other option we could find him in the private markets was a one-year term loan at 36% interest, still with a personal guarantee, and he took that loan. (laughs) And it put him on a debt treadmill that eventually he ended up bankrupt and losing his house. And that's why this topic is so interesting to me, because I think people really need to understand their risk tolerance, not Mm -hmm. only with themselves, but with their spouse and or if you're going into business with a business partner. So you can understand it's it's really an important thing. Sometimes we see situations where a business has hit a tough spot and they need money and one partner's willing to guarantee and the other's not it creates a problem big problem we often see problems when an investor comes in and then maybe early on and then it's time for the company to need more money and the choice is to do it with debt or with equity i mean and there's a there's a choice to do it with debt but someone needs to guarantee and the investor is not willing to guarantee, and then the entrepreneur rightfully says, Why should I take all this risk on my own? Or that's okay, but if the investor owns 20% or more, even the possibility of debt is dead without a personal guarantee. Yep. And so I think really this understanding of risk, and I know you get involved in different ventures and stuff, but trying to, if you're going to invest in an entrepreneur, trying to understand their risk targets is also an important thing. I think.
0: Yeah. And you know, what's interesting for me in counter to what I've said so far is that I've got, you know, multiple, you know, eight figure loans that I've signed on as a key person for the real estate that we've acquired, which are non-recourse. So I don't, I don't mind that debt at all, <laughs> you know? Uh, and then the the flip side is I, I, as a, as someone who does this for a living, I have a very good asset protection plan. And so in the event, someone had a claim against me for something that, you know, the only way they'd collect is if I was willing to pay them because there would be no assets to attach to. So, I, you know, I think that enables me to have confidence that, you know, if there are risks out there that I'm unaware of, or, you know, i I end up uh, running over a, a school bus full of young children, you know, that, that too wouldn't impact my financial security.
1: Yeah, it's, it's interesting. It's, uh, it's also interesting to think about how different entrepreneurs think about risk. So we were just, for the listeners, Noah and I are, both in a group called Entrepreneur's Organization, which many people who listen to this are members of, and we were just at a great conference together called the EO Deal Exchange. And there were cases there where entrepreneurs were, and actually Noah was one of the potential investors, were willing to sell equity in their companies when they didn't have to. They could have borrowed the money. And that's an interesting, it says something if if that entrepreneur understands that, it says something about the choices that they're making. They're more which is it's not that anything's right or wrong, but they're more cautious in the path that they're picking.
0: No doubt. I have a, a partner now, and we're talking about restructuring his enterprise. and you know, he wants more cash on his balance sheet and he's willing to sell some equity to get there which then would lead him to be able to leverage his balance sheet further through a a line of credit so he could have more cash available on his balance sheet. And, you know, I think he doesn't really want to sell the equity, but the way to get the debt is to have more cash on the balance sheet. And he's, he thinks that's the the best price forward. So. Yeah.
1: How do you advise him in a situation like that?
0: uh, To me, I'm looking at the, the future opportunity what's the value received by the entrepreneur if they go through plan a, which is looking at let's say raising equity plus adding debt versus option B with whichever option b might be whether that's status quo and and you know organic growth or just debt that could be obtained right now on the based on the current balance sheet and and you compare those out and you say okay which which future is more exciting and rewarding and potentially profitable and what's the risk to each of them? And which would you prefer? I know for me, I've always preferred the using my own capital and growing organically. Right. Just in my, you know, my own path, other than when we acquire real estate.
1: But everyone's different also, right? So,
0: Oh, of course. I've got another friend of mine. Uh, you, You know, he leverages, personal guarantee, you know, nine figure net worth, and he's personally guaranteeing every loan that he borrows to buy high risk, high leverage assets. And, you know, he has a desire to be a billionaire. So the best way to be a billionaire is to use a lot of leverage because it's hard to become a billionaire unless you have just a good idea that serves a billion people. But in his case, he's just doing it through, you know, leveraged returns and, and generating high returns on capital.
1: And I think this speaks the point of, but everyone's got to, so he's he's choosing, I can't imagine you would ever do that.
0: No, not at all. See, I, I think it's, you know, it's not. Because because I think partly it's, I don't believe more money is going to make me any happier. Right. But less money would could make me less happy.
1: Right. But sometimes from my experience, the more people, money accumulated at a young age often makes them less happy. <laughs> Mm. that too yeah Noah, what words of wisdom in your line of work would you give an entrepreneur things that you think they should be thinking about say they have a business with a couple million dollars of revenue and they're humming along what are the things you think they should be thinking about
0: uh i'm a i'm someone that's into planning you know i've been a planner my whole life and so i think it's important to have a plan And those plans would be related to what you want out of the business and and how that business is gonna grow and achieve success and what you want personally and how all of those will be intertwined with each other. So are you gonna sacrifice your personal goals and objectives for business goals and objectives or the other way around? Or are you gonna try and find some balance some way and how are you gonna create that balance? Uh, But I think the planning piece to me has always been the most important. I, I really get a lot of value out of having a clear path for you know this is where I am, this is where I wanna be, and this is how I'm gonna get there. And that, again, goes back to style, you know, somewhat aligned with my risk profile. I also like to have a good plan. And I, I think that a lot of entrepreneurs, uh, especially ones that like a lot of risk, they're much more comfortable not having a clear plan in many cases.
1: Are there any tools or resources that you recommend an entrepreneur use to begin thinking about that plan or working on that plan?
0: I mean, I use EOS in all the companies I'm affiliated with, uh, you know, Traction. And uh, I've found that to be a great planning system for the business side. On the personal side, you know, I think everyone should have a financial plan. A financial plan would be something that tells you, you know, what, income and expenses do you have, what assets and liabilities do you have personally, and then manage that so that you're clear about if you continue to take these behaviors, this is the results that you should end up with in a long time frame. Got it.
1: Someone it. Do you have any books,
0: Noah? I've got a couple books that I've written. Uh, Tell, if us that's about what you
1: mean. Tell us um, about them.
0: So I've got a book called Exit, Healthy, Wealthy, and Wise that I wrote about a decade ago back at the the 2010s uh, uh, around entrepreneurs that want to sell their business. And one of the things that I noticed is that when an entrepreneur sells their company and they achieve financial freedom and time freedom, the consequence is often misery, depression, divorce, and it's not the outcome that people would expect. And it's because what I attribute it to is a lack of meaning and purpose in that entrepreneur's life after the sale. So the book talks about preparing holistically for selling your company. Mm -hmm. I've got another book called uh, 2020 Vision, which is just about thinking about who's going to own your company in five years and a series of uh, stories, case studies, essentially, for things to consider based on who you think is going to own your business in five years. I've got a couple of ebooks that are available for free that people could download around how we invest for infinite returns in real estate and uh, how to become rich beyond money.
1: Where do, where do people find this stuff and where do people find you?
0: The best place to find me is Facebook or LinkedIn because uh, I, I I generally post content there about business, taxes, real estate, lifestyle. And on the books, uh, if you go to richbeyondmoney.com, you could download. That book, if you go to talk about RE, like real estate, talk about RE, you could download my real estate book. And the, uh, the business, if, you, if you're interested in talking about Becoming Rich Beyond Money for yourself, you'd go to talktofreedom.com. And awesome. from there, you'd get a call with the team.
1: Well, no, I know you're an enormous resource to entrepreneurs in the community. And I thank you for all that you do. And I appreciate you taking the time to chat with
0: me and our listeners today. Of course, Ami. Anytime. Thanks for joining us today on Ami Sites with your host, Ami Kassar, the foremost SBA thought leader. Make sure you visit us at multifunding.com where you can meet our advisory team and learn more about how we help entrepreneurs fund their future.